Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. Today, we have on the podcast uh, an absolutely fascinating guest, a black metal legend from Japan, Mirai Kawashima. And he's the vocalist for the very legendary Japanese black metal band, Sai. We're going to get more into the career of the band, but the Voice Hacks podcast is really super focused on you, the vocalist. So we're going to get started with some vocal questions first. But welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. So I have been doing a lot of interviews, both as an interviewer and an interviewer. But this is my first time to, you know, specifically talk about vocals. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I was thinking earlier today when I was preparing that the last time we spoke, you were interviewing me pretty much. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I work as a music journalist, too. So I do a lot of interviews almost you know every week yes if people don't know you from your band sigh they'll definitely recognize you from a lot of the press materials and interviews you've done over the years you have done a lot as a metal journalist and also you work as an industry professional with record labels and things as well. Well, I, I'm excited because I wanted to start. You can do so many things with your voice. So it's really fascinating because you do a, an astounding, like a variety of sounds that it goes with the music. You have tons of, uh, you've gone as far as using vocoders, you scream. We have all these really bizarre like noises. And I wanted to see when you first got into this genre how did you decide that you wanted to scream or do harsh vocals because it is really unusual even in places where metal is more popular but you are actually more of one of the pioneers of the genre you got started very early and so I can't imagine there was even that many influences because you've done some pioneering in the genre yourself so what led you to do extreme harsh vocals like that I, I don't know because I grew up in the 80s listening to bands like Venom, Slayer, Destruction, you know, because Fresh Mellow was my thing when I was a teenager. So I don't know, I didn't think much about it. When I, at first, I started a copy band, like, because we were copying the bands like, of course, Venom, Whiplash, Creator, Destruction, and that kind of, oh, yes, you know, Thrush Metal. So I'm, didn't think much. I just screamed because because, <laughs> because that was my thing. 
That's so great. And and I and yeah, I forget the thrash metal bands were around, even if uh, more of the black metal was in its infancy. Certainly the thrash metal creator. What a great band. What a great influence. And so when you started screaming, had you ever done any vocals in your life before that? Did you ever do any traditional singing when you were young or in school or anything like that? Or has it always just been like screaming and metal the whole time? No, I've never. I never officially took lessons about you know singing or anything back then I, I just screamed you know it's not easy for the Japanese people to properly sing in English it's just really difficult because you have to think two things at the same time about the pronunciation and, and singing properly it's, it's not easy at all but on the other hand screaming is it's much easier you just scream and people do not care about the pronunciation that much so yeah it was easy, yeah, easier for me they don't also too we intentionally mispronounce many of our screams to change the pitch and things anyway so you spend all this time working on pronunciation in a second language only to scream to find out you really have to change the vowel anyway. It's not going to be proper anyway. That And so then when you were starting out, did you always do the lyrics in English then from the beginning? Yes. Actually, now we, we have just finished the new album for Sai and all the lyrics are in Japanese this time somehow. But when I started the band, because, you know, the heavy metal, you know, was something from West. It's not a Japanese thing for me at all. So it is a Western culture. So, and then, you know, almost all the albums, LPs I was listening to were sung in English. So for me, it was very natural for me to sing in English. So I never thought about singing in Japanese when I was much younger. Because, you know, thrash metal is a very rhythmic music. So it's, it's pretty much connected, you know, attached to English rather than Japanese, which is a very melodic language. So at first I thought, you know, singing in English is much easier for music like that. I can understand that. For classical singing back in the day when I was doing music school, you know, we had to learn pronunciation in several languages. That's their hack. They don't really teach you the language. They just give you a semester on the pronunciation rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, Japanese was not one of them because it's a different type of classical music. But I hear a lot of similarities um, as far as the way the consonants and the purity of the vowels, in a way, it has the same qualities in the consonants and the vowels as something like Italian. And Italian was always the preferred singing language. I find it's actually much easier to sing just about anything in Italian. <laughs> uh, but we don't use it for rock and metal too much. So Yeah, I think so. But bel, bel canto is pretty much you know, connected to Italian language very well. Because the Japanese language, every letter has a vowel. So it's just very, it's, it's not rhythmic at all. So there's no accent. I wouldn't say no accent, but uh, you don't hear a lot of accents in speaking Japanese. So it's, it's really, it's kind of difficult to sing in Japanese for rock music or hip hop. It should you know, become something totally different when you sing in Japanese. Certainly. And I, I really admire uh, those of you who sing in a second language. Uh, I think American musicians or British musicians, they they 
you know, uh, they don't get that experience very much and they don't realize how astoundingly difficult it is. And you did this early on and, and this is even more of a difference. When I've been to Tokyo, you know, not very many people speak English and this makes sense. It's very far removed. It would be the same in Russia, China, anywhere we change the character set, really, uh, the, the letter set. Uh, it really creates a huge barrier. So it's even more cool that you've been able to do that with a bigger barrier, I would say. You have to learn a different alphabet. And so that's really neat, though. And it's really neat that that is part of your rock and metal journey. I think that's fascinating. And look what it's allowed you to do. You you interview people now from all over the world. And you've toured quite a bit internationally as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange because here in Japan, we learn English for like 10 years when you were when you are a student. So usually you have to learn it, but somehow I think they can read and write English, but uh, speaking and listening are, you know, some kind of uh, tough part for most of the Japanese people. But I learned English through heavy metal rather than at school because I really, you know, loved thrash metal. So I learned all the lyrics from Venom albums by heart. And, you know, I used to sing through the album. So that's how I learned English. Right? I, I didn't study it. This is why a lot of American musicians, you know, don't get good at languages or pron even pronouncing names that are not English names, you know. And it's because we, as a musician, I find this a lot. Most of the international musicians I know, you know, do adapt to English through that exact discovery that you mentioned and you immerse yourself in it and it's almost better than it's almost better than learning in school because school is not the way people speak i think lyrics are much more of the way someone would say something maybe so this is so cool and i wanted to see so as far as uh when you were screaming you've been a harsh vocalist for like 30 years now is there anything that you do to maintain the screams does it ever bother you do you have a routine do you have any methods or warm-ups you do or you just do it I just do it I think I have pretty <laughs> much strong throat sometimes I did but I usually do not lose my voice at all no matter how I scream like you know 30 years ago you know screaming was not something you learned you know you just did it yes now if you go to youtube you can find a lot of you know the how to videos about screaming and doing how to do whistle voice and a lot of things so it's, it's i thought it was surprising for me but well i think it, i think it is a good thing you know you can learn how to properly scream without losing your voice and so it's just healthier people may think screaming is just a screaming but actually it's not there are a lot of variety of technique and so i think it's now it's a the technology is a great thing to learn a lot of new things you you usually don't come across in your daily life. Oh, yeah. It's so much easier now for folks. You know, back 20 or 30 years ago, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the idea of harsh vocals as a viable technique. I mean, that didn't exist. The, I think very limited studies even now, and they only started happening maybe 20 years ago, and it's still quite limited. But yeah, it's, it's so nice the resources kids nowadays have. They can 
maybe learn to do it. But, you know, whether you know it or not, if you have not had any vocal problems, you are doing something right because the voice is really, really delicate and it will mm. give out. There's no way you can do 30 years of screaming, you know, and not whatever sound, even if even if the person doesn't realize it, if it's not making you hoarse, it's one of the correct sounds. You know, you would have gone hoarse. You would have had problems years ago. I was going to ask about shows. Now, I don't know if I saw this correctly, but did you guys get booked on uh, any I thought maybe I saw a festival or two where you are you back to doing that are you able to travel internationally do you have any festivals booked like this year or is it next year or yeah well, we have some festival planned for next year but okay to be honest I have no idea at all because now the COVID situation is the worst here in Japan the number of the new cases are increasing very drastically these days and it's very hard to tell you know Actually, I got vaccinated twice, but a, a drummer is claiming he will not get vaccination at all. I don't know why, but so maybe oh wow, he may not be able to enter the U.S. in the future without vaccination. And maybe the, the flight costs may get much higher after the, you know, the COVID is over. So I'm not sure if we, we can make it for next year, but still, yes, some festivals are planned. I mean, yeah, it's really hard to say, right? Because I've seen a lot of bands announce festivals and tours. Half of them are getting canceled. Some of them are canceled because someone, I just saw another tour today where the band, someone got COVID. So the whole band is taking 10 days off the tour. And it's just a nightmare for musicians. But I did want to talk about live vocals and this kind of concept because the good thing that I've been telling my students is well while this is happening you can prepare technically you can think about what you would do to get ready for tours to get ready for shows some people are half touring I wanted to see so when you're rehearsing and preparing for tours and shows do you feel like the band rehearsal is enough to condition your vocals do you ever do anything physically or mentally to prepare your vocals for festivals and tours? No, I don't do anything particular for touring or festivals because I, I usually do some, you know, voice training, you know, on daily basis. So that's good enough for me. So what do you do on a daily basis? I've been taking some voice lessons, but it is it is not, you know, something usual. My, my teacher, when we are born, we have an infinite you know, possibility about voices. But after you learn to speak your mother tongue, it limits your, what do you say? Your uh, potential, your capacity. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's his thoughts. And so he always tries to liberate your throat and voices as much as possible. So he makes his students do everything from, you know, the you know, Chanel register to even whistle voice. So just the lowest to wow. the highest. So that's what he teaches to his students. So I usually do everything from the lowest register to the highest register, including, you know, even the whistle voice. So that's what I do. So it's quite strange, but it's very good for me because I'm an extreme metal vocalist, musician. So I stick to that kind of technique rather than singing properly in a usual way. That's what I do. I think that is very important for people to hear because I'm always talking about how it's not magic, you know, 
and that the people who do a wide variety of sounds like yourself, you really, your band has really evolved from traditional black metal to something very avant-garde, if you will, where you're open to other genres. So obviously vocally, you're free to experiment. And I think that this stuff has to be maintained, like you were saying. And, and um, it's really neat that you have someone that you're working with and you go through that entire register. And then when the tours come, it's simply easy for you to access because you keep it up all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's easier. So it's the same thing, you know. So if you can do it on a daily basis, you can do it on stage or you can do it on... Because I've been in the band for 30 years. So now I know... If you are a beginner, you may be confused when you are on stage and a lot of troubles you don't hear the drums and there are a lot of troubles you have to go through. But uh, once you learned it, there is no difference for, you know, singing for 50 people or singing for 10,000 people. There is no much difference. Yeah, you you know, you're accustomed to it. And even if you can't hear as clearly or mm. whatever that day, I mean, you are very experienced. Practice makes perfect. You know, having yeah. uh, the voice as an instrument, even if, you know, people don't have that much technique, just the act. I always remind everybody, just the simple act of rehearsing and playing shows is practice. That is practice. So, yes, you know, that stands to reason. What was the last festival that you played before the pandemic? The one in Atlanta two years ago. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I know it's been so long, right? Now, now the time <laughs> we're all just waiting. Yeah, waiting. It's, it's, it's two years ago. So, yeah. Oh, no. I wanted to keep asking some more vocal questions. And the next one I was uh, going to ask about is so you've added so many multiple genres. I started bringing this up earlier, and you you guys really are open to anything. It's it's super. It, you've added like woodwinds, and you know, and then you've got um, some great backing vocals from Dr. McCannibal. She's also amazing and a great vocalist and playing the saxophone. And so, has there been any vocal styles that maybe you haven't added yet that you would want to get into? Throat singing or anything like that? Any boundaries that you have an interest in that maybe you haven't explored yet? No, I don't think so. Because for the new album that comes out next year, I even expanded my vocal styles, you know, of course, including throat singing. And I used, this time I used a lot of, you know, Asian vocalization because it's, it's quite different because in, especially in, in, in a ethnic prospect, because, you know, in the West, you usually, you, the lower, you know, low larynx vocalization is the best thing. But here in Asia, it's you use much more narrower, high larynx, you know, vocalization traditionally. So I use a lot of that kind of things to so it's quite I really want to make everything extreme. So when you say extreme metal, just screaming or growling, it's not just you know extreme things. You can do anything. Like you know, including because there are a lot of you know mysterious things like you know the throat singing and you can make a harmony just one throat and you know that kind. So it's very in interesting to explore the unknown technique. Oh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to hearing that. And that's so neat how after, you know, even after 30 years, it, well, it's it feels like you have to expand after being a vocalist for a few decades. That's how I feel, too. And I feel like because otherwise it's just boring to repeat the same harsh vocals for 20, 30 years. I mean, you would get 
creatively very stifled, I, I would think. Yeah, now I'm 50, but I, I think I can hit the highest in my whole life. I wish I could have met my teacher when I was in 20s, so things might have been much different, but, but still I can keep expanding my registers even though I'm already 50. So it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing too. And I always, this was the thing that they taught us in classical singing was because, uh, because we would have like the Mick Jaggers of the opera world, <laughs> the people who were in their seventies and borderline 80, like 75 years old that were still singing, you know, opera very perfectly, indistinguishably. Like if you closed your eyes, you could not tell the difference between you know, when they were 30 or 75. And this is the thing they always told us, that the voice really is not going to age if you take care of it. And I also feel like I do much higher vocals now than I did when I was younger. And I think you're a great example of that. You know, you can just keep getting better at the vocals. You know, it doesn't have to stop. I think lifestyle habits make people's vocals go down as they age. And I think if people stop using their voice, they get some age-related things. But what you experienced is what I also think is the general experience. If you keep using it and developing it, it should be better when you're older because you've had a lot more practice. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know it's true, but my teacher claims that uh, you can keep your voice maybe until when you are 90 if you properly use yes. it and yeah. <laughs> Great, but uh, I agree with that. Some of the old rockers, we actually see that we have our Mick Jaggers, you know. But but I know that he also lives a pretty, at least as an older person, a pretty healthy lifestyle. He eats a lot of very healthy foods and things, you know. But then you have people who didn't live a healthy lifestyle, and um, their vocals might go down the tubes a little bit. But also, um, and unfortunately, they don't even live as long. So generally the rock stars who treat their body badly. Uh, we hear it vocally, but we also, unfortunately, they don't they don't get to stay around as long. They don't have the longevity. So if you have a healthy lifestyle and you're going to live longer, your voice will probably keep up with you if you keep using it. There is something called like age-related, like you can get arthritis that goes in your larynx, you know, it can affect the joints. It's not super common. It's more like people with rheumatoid arthritis. And there is sometimes age-related stiffening of the vocal cartilages, but they're always people who like, again, they're not using it. They're not moving the joints. They're not stretching those cartilages out. It doesn't seem to happen to these opera folks or people who can keep it up into their 70s. So yeah, who knows? Maybe in 10 years, you'll be able to make even more sounds than now. Yeah. So it's a little bit scary about thinking of aging. So, but I just hope. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. But it's encouraging to know that the voice doesn't really age as badly as the rest of our bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just hope so, yeah. Yeah. One of the fascinating facts about your band that I think a lot of the more metal nerds listening and the old school metal folks are going to really uniquely appreciate is that Psy was one of the only bands to get signed to Euronymous's label before he passed away. Although I think the release came out after he passed, if I'm not mistaken. And so now to put it in context for my younger audience, this was a long time ago, like late 80s, early 90s. You couldn't just DM Euronymous. So I'm just curious, how were you able to make contact that far and share your music from that distance? 
Well, back then, of course, you know, we didn't have any internet or anything. So you have to, you know, you had to send the cassette via, you know, so-called snail mail. In early 90s, we did a seven-inch EP on the U.S. record label named Wild Rags Records. And um, after that, I sent it to every record label from all, all over the world to hunt the deal. Maybe for an LP. I, I was not sure if anybody would be interested in it, but I was sending out our you know, EP and cassette to every contact I could fa- find. And the Euronymous was one of them. But actually, to be to be precise, I sent to I sent the cassette to Dead. He, he was the the vocalist of Mayhem. I sent the Dead. Wow. Because he had a record label named Death Like Silence Productions. And a few months later, I got a letter from Euronymous instead saying the dead you know committed suicide. He killed himself. So he, he like you know he he cannot reply himself because he blew his head off. So Euronymous is writing a letter instead and that kind of things. So that was the first contact. And Euronymous was the only one who showed interest in science music. So there, there was no other choice. So Euronymous wanted to sign us. That's amazing. Well, but, you know, because back then, death metal was the, the biggest thing. Grindcore and death metal was biggest yes. thing. And then Psy was heavily influenced by all these thrust metal like Slayer. So no other label showed any interest in us. So, wow. Yeah, I immediately said yes to Euronymous's offer. This is wonderful. And, you know, everybody... Now, this those guys are sort of like these, um, you know, when history goes by, people almost give them like a fictionally legendary status mm. almost. And I, I it, it's, is it strange that there's actually like a movie about these guys? I was pretty much involved in the, the Japanese screen, screening of Lords of Caves. So I saw the, I watched the movie maybe five or six times. And, but I think that the movie is very accurate. I even interviewed the the Jonas, the, the director of the movie. So some people complained about the you know the the content of the movie, but uh, I think I think he researched a lot and he made it as accurate as possible. I think it was a great movie, and it was the 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 you know the storyline of the movie. It is exactly the same thing which I experienced back then. So. You know, wow! Brought back a lot of memories from that era to me. That's that's amazing because there's very few people. I mean, it was a very short period of time, and it's a very small group of people in a small scene. So you're probably one of the only people around who could even uh, have a perspective on that. Yeah, because the, the first letter I got from Euronymous, you know, he, as I said, you know, he was saying the. the Dead committed suicide, and the first thing Euronymous did was to go out and get a disposable camera. That's what he said, and took the took the photos of dead body and those things. But back then, I was not sure he meant it. Certainly, yeah. Very hard to tell because he was trying. It was just a shock value, especially because that was such a tradition already in rock and metal. I mean, yeah, yes. shock rock, you know, and and many of the metal people are putting on a show. They're not really doing it. Of course, the that 
you know, those photos, nobody knew about the photo. After Euronymous was murdered, the, the finally the photo became the cover at work of the one of the bootleg live album by Mayhem. So I finally knew what he said was true. So back then, it's very hard to tell like, what, what was real or not. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, because it would have been through a letter, too, and it could have been like weeks after, you yes. know? I, I mean, there's no way, there's no social media. I think people don't understand like how long the communication would be as well. At yeah, that that's time. true. Because when Euronymous was murdered, I got to know the news after 10 days after. So Euronymous was murdered on August 10th. I got a letter from Samoth of Emperor on August 20th. Then I finally knew what happened in Norway. So that's, you know, before the internet era, you know. Yeah, and now we find out in five minutes <laughs> yes. or, or yeah. someone takes a picture of something before it's even news. And oh, my God. Uh, wow. That's but that's legendary. And I definitely wanted to touch on that because that's a that's just sort of a legendary um, story, a legendary time. And that's what sort of made Psy part of the pioneering generation of black metal. And now you've massively expanded that. It's way beyond black metal. I mean, you, you can't even really give it. A, it's still metal, but it's like you do everything. You can't give it a genre necessarily. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of the folks from I know the lineups have changed but Mayhem, Emperor, the black metal bands from back in the day that are still around? or Yeah, because, you know, as I said, I've, I'm working as a music journalist. I do a lot of interview with them, you know, those people, so I get in touch with them, a lot of them. It's really cool because the metal community really is a global community, and um, we all get to know each other over time and connect with each other, and I think that's really special. I think metal journalists... And metal news sites and blogs and metal uh, YouTube channels are really, really the driving force. The the musicians and fans that also document the scene um, are huge and unique and special. I managed a band that was like alternative rock and it's either majorly mainstream or nothing. And they don't have like the zines, the festivals. We have something really special here. In metal, I think. Yeah, that, that is a great thing about heavy metal, for sure. Yeah, I, I had very much fun uh, doing the interviews and things in Japan when I was there. It was great. It was a great scene. I wanted to ask about, uh, so a lot of people don't realize this, but your full-length albums, kind of a fun fact for people who don't know. If they look closely, they know, but they always spell the name uh, in an acronym, it, like as if you list the full length titles, S I G H. And the last record, you reached H <laughs> in 2018. So I was wondering, are you going to keep that pattern? Are you going to surprise us with the new record? Or are you going to continue the same pattern? Well, actually, the, the next one will start with S. So we are continuing the patterns. It's very hard. Sometimes I think of stopping it, but uh, well, <laughs> I don't know because now. Yeah, it is. So I think it's really neat. I think it's unique and creative. And I, I, I think people love that kind of stuff when they're a fan of your band and they know this little like inside. Uh, I think this is all plays into what we were talking about earlier, the metal community, the metal scene. You know, people love knowing that kind of fact or noticing that kind of detail, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like Mobile Angel doing ABCD things, you know. Oh, one of these years, I, I live in Las Vegas, um, and one of these years, uh, 
it would be great. You guys would totally fit on the festival that they're having this weekend, Psycho Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of black metal bands and um, and other like super heavy bands like that. I think because Mayhem is playing and you know stuff like that. It'd be a great festival. But again, could be a couple years before that happens. But I wanted to see if so. Are there any? Uh, so do you have any vocal influences? outside the metal genre like or uh are you just a fan of metal vocalists because some people surprise me and they're like oh i like so-and-so opera singer or blues singer do you have any bizarre vocal influences yeah because as i said i do a throat singing a lot of you know asian things so so i have a lot of strange influences the, the one i really have to mention is a is it it's a bolot bylo chef it's just very hard to so I, I can send the chat because the spelling is a bit, you know, it's a good ball of biological. He, he's from the Central Asia, and then he can do harmony by himself. Wow! He, he, his own way. It's, it's really great. He can he can make a harmony in perfect fifth with his own. You know, you, you I think I think he's using a force vocal code or something. So this is I can I can send you the YouTube link. So I, I you know really love love a lot of you know different vocal techniques like it from the Iran and Iraq, like the Tahlil, Arabic singing like a lot of like, like, like you know, things, you know, he, they use a lot of strange, beautiful techniques. So I listen to a lot of, you know, vocal music, like ethnic and world music, a lot of them. That's really important, I think, for people to notice is, you know, you can't, get inspired to develop new sounds if you're not listening to new sounds. And world music, we're going to hear a variety of vocal phonations from all over the globe. There's so many different things we can do with our larynx. And uh, the, the dual pitch stuff, the double vibration stuff is fascinating. Yes, I never heard any, any anyone but Ballot is doing that kind of stuff. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, it's super fascinating. The episode that I recorded with um, Sebastian from the, the Growler Choir, he's a fascinating guy to talk to because he was a participant in some throat singing research and death metal research. He mentioned that not only can you make dual pitches by singing with the vocal cords and vibrating the false cords, the other cartilages. But he mentioned that they had looked at an Inuit throat singer and a Tibetan throat singer, and that both of them were actually doing it differently. I've seen videos of people doing it with their false cords, so I know that that is a thing. But in the study Sebastian was a part of, they noticed they're actually double vibrating their, their actual vocal cords. Oh, really? Yeah, and this blew my mind because I didn't know you could actually do that. <laughs> so apparently you can do it that way too. Wow. Well, I thought you always you, you use a false code to make an octave or perfect fifth. This is what I thought too. But according to Sebastian, some of the research shows otherwise that you can do it with the vocal folds. He, he, he blew my mind. You'll hear that episode when it comes out. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, there are a lot of mysteries about vocal code and vocalization. So there should be a lot of unknown technique to me. So I mean, see, I'm, I'm always curious about the new technique about making something, you know, different. 
it's so hard too because it's like we don't have touch. The vocal cords themselves do not have tactile nerve endings. If you could actually feel them touching, it would be irritating to just speak. <laughs> it would feel kind of itchy and buzzy because they vibrate sound waves. So there's a lot of reasons we can't really feel them. But then it's very hard to know without looking, what are my cords doing? People just make sounds. And that's and only recently, in the last 30 years or so, have we had good enough technology to to really look in there. Some of the stuff we still don't have that great of technology, like you can't look at a cross section of someone singing in an MRI very well. Like there's a little bit of it, but it's very low resolution still. So hopefully we'll learn more. But I've seen what you were talking about. The large majority of school of thought of throat singing, um, I've seen where some people do it with the false cord cartilage that is in the front of the larynx. Some people do it with the cartilage in the back of the larynx. I don't think they actually have control over either one. I don't know that they know that. But I've seen, and then Sebastian's way would add a third way. So pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, it's very interesting. I really want to know about it. Yeah, I'm really curious. In all the world music that you follow and you study, would you ever invite uh, a, a vocalist like that to perform on a Psy record or to collaborate with somebody outside the metal genre, but someone like your favorite throat singing influence? No, I never thought about it. I prefer to do it myself. That's, yeah, I never I never thought about it. It's hard to, to collaborate. I find that people who maybe do that type of music, probably have less recording experience and stuff. And I think it's very hard. You'd have to go to them probably to capture it or something. But you can certainly do just about any sound you put your mind to. And you you can do everything from whistles down to the throat singing. And the we can create subharmonics in the throat singing. What's the most difficult sound for you personally to maintain and replicate? Well, I mean, maybe whistle was the, the hardest. It took uh, you know so many years to finally make it. It's just because probably it's, it's easier for women to make a whistle sound somehow. Probably they speak in falsetto on daily basis. But uh, for men, you know, some you know male singer even have a problem with singing in falsetto. And even in you know they, they probably whistle is the hardest for. For men, I guess. Yes, I would agree with that. And especially for, for the Japanese people, because because I think Asian languages, you know, because throat singing and that kind of subharmonic thinking is pretty much close to the Asian language. So if you speak Asian language, it's it's not very difficult to learn how to throat sing because it's it's a, it's a narrow vocalization close to the, the Japanese language and other Chinese and, you know, that kind of languages. So I guess it's pretty easier for the Asian people to learn throat singing and subharmonic thinking, I guess. Singing high should be difficult for, you know, like a, if you want to have a you know thick, mixed voices, it's, it should be very hard for the Japanese man to make it properly. I think it's connected to maybe Italian language or, or even English is closer to Italian. And that's what I, that's my thought. No, I I can see this because I teach people all over the world and I've had vocal students in like 40 countries. And yes, people's first language determines their speech patterns and that will make certain sounds more or less intuitive. Also, your inter interval 
relationships subconsciously growing up, your scales. So for example, I, I feel personally, and I'm probably going to have someone <laughs> write in and argue with me about this, but in all my years of teaching and being a vocalist myself, I think it's almost impossible for an adult, not a kid, but somebody who's over 20 years old, you know, to learn Eastern scales uh, or scales like Indian or Arabic, you know, whereas if you grow up with it, you have those interval relationships in your head and uh, you learn them very easily, you know, so definitely language and the music that you hear uh, during your developmental age will cause a lot of things for you vocally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I perfectly agree because probably our ears or brain has the filter because in Japanese, we have only five vowels. So in English and other language has much more, you know, much more vowels. So that's the problem for the Japanese people to listen to English because we have the filters in our ears or brain. So if you listen to English, it's automatically, you know, filtered through the ear. We have two, like, you know, five vowels, and there's no distinction between L and R. That's why it's really difficult for the Japanese people to learn other European languages. So it should be the same for music. If your brain or ears have the filter already, it should affect the music you hear or learn. I think that's it's, that is very true. Yeah, I found that. So, for example, I, like when I'm teaching lessons, people who speak English, French, or German as their first first language, because obviously all of my lessons are in English, but um, as their first language that formed their speech patterns, the people who speak English, French, or German, they all have like tendencies to pull the sounds into their throat. They do different things with their tongues that people who speak other languages do not do. <laughs> so we have some speech things to overcome that maybe someone who spoke Italian or Russian or something does not have to overcome as much when we're learning even the harsh vocals. It will affect that, you know, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I notice a big difference. But some people will say to me, oh, my accent disappears when I'm singing. And it's because of that same vowel shape thing we were talking. I think it, it's it's everything sounds more natural when you sing it or, uh, you know, as well or scream it for that matter, like you mentioned. But I wanted to ask, is Sai the only place people can hear you perform vocals? Do you have any other projects, collaborations, musical outlets? I used to be in the, the American death metal band called Necrophagia, but now Sai is the only band I have right now. Of course, I, when I'm asked to do some guest vocals or, you know, guest keyboards and anything i will do it and now i'm too busy so i can't stretch myself thinner so probably i won't do any other pro big projects you know that's why it's a lot to ask you know it is it's hard one band uh it takes so much effort and time and you're also a multi-instrumentalist in the band as well you've played so many of the different instruments 
You can do some phonic arranging and everything. So I, I was curious about your writing process. So as an instrumentalist, do you write your vocals first or your instrumentals first? Or is it a little bit of both? Definitely, I write the music first. Then, yeah, I, I, I always, you know, the writing the lyrics is the last thing I do. Do you already have some parts in mind vocally? Like, how do you decide where you're going to do what type of sound? I don't know. I usually make demo, like with, with you know, machine drums and, and that kind of thing. And I keep listening to it. Then I usually come up with the vocal patterns or the lyrics very spontaneously. So, yeah, everything is pretty much spontaneous, I guess. Do your lyrics, do they tell stories and have meaning? Or do you use words more artistically? Like, for example, Devin Townsend and Mike Patton, they'll say things like they, they do the same thing. They'll write the instruments first and then do the vocals. But that they'll admit that the vocals just like you come out more spontaneous. It might not tell a literal story it's more just words to sing on do you feel like you use sounds more in a soundscape or you feel like you're always telling lyrical stories yeah my my, the, my lyrics tell the story or that you know tell the facts and it's, it's of course some parts are just you know phonetic but uh all in all the the every song has the theme itself do you feel like certain topics influence the adrenaline for your screaming? I feel like it's, for example, it's hard to scream <laughs> about a topic that isn't very, I don't know. Do you feel like the lyrics affect your harsh vocals and the energy you can put into it? Yes, very much. So the new album is about it completely, you know, I wrote about the fear of death and getting old because that is the the feeling I have right now. So, so when I sang, you know, the the lyrical content affected me a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is the time COVID. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It did affect largely older people. I can understand wanting to write about that cathartically. Is it therapeutic for you to put your feelings into the words? Yeah, it was. Honestly, the the death and aging theme has nothing to do with COVID because now I'm 15 and this used to be a fantasy when you were 20, you know, are 20 or 30. But when you become 50, your friends start dying and it becomes something completely real. So it could happen even today or even tomorrow. So this is my honest feeling, you know, which has nothing to do with COVID situation. Yes. And and I think a lot of people can, I mean, we think we can all relate to that because it comes, I always say time stops for no one. (laughs) It comes for us all, you know, it just keeps moving forward. Yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to get from you is obviously you mentioned earlier, the COVID situation in Japan is not looking very good. So um, do you think it will be like another year or so before we see tours and festivals uh, come back there? I mean, you said they have the vaccines, at least. Yeah, because now it's not for sure if vaccination will work work very well, you know, enough to stop it now because of the Delta variants. It's, it's getting the situation is getting worse now. So I'm not sure. I, a few months before, I thought that everything would come to normal in 2022. But now I'm not sure. Maybe it will take another year or two to until all the shows and festivals 
come back. Maybe it takes forever. Maybe it will never come back to normal in the future because you know there could you know there could be another scarier variant, you know, like lambda things. So I'm not sure. It's, unfortunately, yeah, I can't be optimistic right now. I feel you because now we've seen it go backwards and forwards a couple of times uh, here in the states. We we opened everything, and so right, the whole musical landscape may be changed forever. So on that note, would Psy, would you guys be interested in making more digital content, artistic music videos, going that direction a little bit? Have you already started doing some stuff like that for the new record? Or yeah, because you know when we do in album we usually make two or three videos so we will do the same for the new one but other than that i'm not to be honest i'm not interested in doing you know so-called streaming things and you know it's i understand if you leave your music live on your music you have to do something like that to keep fans attentions and but you know the live streaming is completely it's another thing from the actual live performances so mm-hmm. i personally am not into doing so would you guys ever do like a streamed concert where it's mostly just a live performance or no you're just that's kind of off the table no we i don't think we will do that in the future either and I think still there's still restrictions on doing things like that. I mean, it's still hard to get people together in a building, depending on what the regulations are. It's such a such a bizarre time, and people are turning to the internet, digital music content. It's so strange. But this has been so awesome, and I'm so happy to have talked to you in depth about vocals, yet your perspective. You're such a legendary vocalist. If people are listening, you need to check out Psy. Go through their whole catalog. You'll hear the evolution of the sound. When does the new album come out? Do you have a date for it yet? Should be sometime early next year. Now it's being mixed, so the date hasn't been fixed yet. Oh, that's cool. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to it based on all the exciting things you were mentioning. So thank you so, so, so much for being on the Voice Hacks podcast and taking your time to speak with me today because I think you're really fascinating and um, you've got a lot of amazing history as a vocalist in the metal scene, uh, sort of pioneering the black metal genre. So thank you so much for doing the podcast with me today. It's been so good to have you. You are very welcome. So I had a lot, lot of fun too. So yeah, we hope we can talk about it again sometime in the future. Oh, that would be great. I am going to need a lot of episodes and we definitely need a number two. So <laughs> Okay, great. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 